On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I am bringing you Amitai Eshel. So we have to talk about skin. I have not done a deep dive into skin, especially for those of us over 40. And Amitai was the guy to bring to you, and you're going to understand why here in a moment. Um, When it comes to the skin changes that happen to us through the perimenopause and menopausal years, they're pretty dramatic, right? I mean, I'm just really being transparent. And I feel like I know for myself that I'm not willing to toxify my body to stay young. My hormonal health is really important to me. And I'm always thinking of what is that product going to do for me 10, 20, 30 years from now? But when it comes to skincare, it's the wild, wild west. How do we know what habits we should be doing? Should we be staying out of the sun? Uh, Should we be putting sunscreen on? Do we need to be looking at certain foods? What nutrients do we need to be eating to be able to enhance better skin performance? Um, This conversation answers all of that. And Amitai did an incredible job at breaking this down so that we understand the lifestyle that goes with great menopausal skin. It's so fascinating. I mean, there were so many things that he really enlightened me on about What's the purpose of skin once we stop having a regular cycle? I'd I'd never thought about that. He addresses that. We also went into all forms of light. What do I need to know about sunlight? What do I need to know about blue light? And what do I need to know about red light? Is red light healing for my skin? That part of the conversation is going to blow you away. Then we also went into Botox. I I needed somebody who had a more holistic view to really help me understand, should we Botox, should we not? What are some of the downsides? Of course, we know the upsides, um, but what do we need to think about? And he did a really good job of navigating that part of the conversation because he he addressed, if you're going to do Botox, here are some lifestyle things you need to think about around Botox. We, after this conversation was over, we actually had a discussion about when we paralyze the face, how oftentimes people can't read our emotions. That was fascinating. I wish we had recorded that part, but there's a lot to think about when it comes to Botox. And then we really went into topicals at the end. Like, what do you need to look for when you're getting a beauty regime in order? Like how do we step out of the toxic beauty conversation that is happening to so many people? Like how do we go after skincare products that are not endocrine disruptors? And what I love about what Amate and his wife have done with their Young Goose products is they've brought in a lot of the things that I'm doing for my overall health, like NAD and stimulating autophagy through fasting and looking at certain supplements like spermidine and they now have made these topical. And so I'm so excited for this conversation. I think it's going to help you make better decisions for you when it comes to what path you decide to go after with skincare. Amate and his wife have created an incredible product, incredible products with Young Goose in a way that I've never seen anybody create before. And I just am so excited to bring him to you. If you're interested in trying his products, there is a discount off your first order. Stay all the way through to the end because I asked him, what's the door into his products if we choose to use that? 
But as always, I want to give you lifestyle first. And that's what the majority of this conversation is about. So if you love it, send this out into the world. Leave me a review. Let me know how conversations like this are benefiting you so I can always customize this podcast to your health needs. So Amate and Young Goose and a whole discussion on skin. Here you go. Enjoy. Welcome to the Resetter Podcast. This podcast is all about empowering you to believe in yourself again. If you have a passion for learning, if you're looking to be in control of your health and take your power back, this is the podcast for you. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash reset academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash reset academy. Excited to see you there. We're just going to jump right in, and I, I just want to say welcome, Amate. I am I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, probably because I'm curious about skincare after 40. It's something I have definitely tried to navigate. I'm not really sure I've been too successful at it. So thank you for joining me here and answering all my burning questions for me. It's my pleasure. And it's also very, very, very interesting that you are categorizing it past 40 because intuitively that's like extremely correct. Like it is a completely different conversation you need to have in your skin once you yeah. pass your, once you, you're flirting with perimenopause, the conversation is completely different. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for saying that. 
And I'm just going to start off with when we look at what happens hormonally, it's really the loss, I think, of, and correct me if I'm wrong, of estradiol. So estradiol goes away and then all of a sudden collagen goes away. And, and for many of us, we just start looking in the mirror and we're like, whoa, what is going on? And, and it's, it's a little, you know, I can just say as a woman, it's a little startling to see yourself age. And then you start wanting to go into the Botoxes and the fillers and you're like scrambling for a solution. So can you talk a little bit about what is happening to our skin after 40 and why do we see changes in the mirror and the reflection that is looking back at us? Yes. So first of all, your your kind of conversation starting with estradiol is like a very good conversation because it's the easiest one to make. You know, that's kind yeah. of what powers collagen production. But actually, we're, <laughs> we're, I would like even to take a step back and because, you know, for some women, it could be, you know, actually the reduction of, 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 of testosterone and oh. growth hormone that, mm. that kind of shift that conversation for us. It could be actually, again, a part of like the changing in, in sleep pattern and the interaction with glucose or with insulin yep. that would, that would create that conversation. But really what we want to think of is the fact that once we, you know, once we are stopping to be a, a, a person that is, that the body is orienting childbearing, the body basically says to the skin, hey, instead of being that communication organ for virality and vitality, this is like the, 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 most, the most important aspect of the visual, the visual interaction so of the skin. Yes. It, becomes, it becomes basically more and more a barrier, more and more of that barrier between our environment and our body. And it really needs to preserve what most people don't think about, probably don't know, but don't think about, is your skin is literally a messenger between the environment and your body. So how it interacts with UV, pollutants, you know, different things that are going on in the environment. We're now talking about coronal flares happening in the world. So that is a part of it. So it actually relays stress back to the brain. And that is very important for our, for our brain to kind of preserve alongside other things. So it kind of says... You know what? I'm not into showing you that I'm, you know, aesthetically or 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 mm. that I want to that I'm, you know, childbearing yeah, reproduced. or yeah. exactly. And that those are part of the the you know the changes that we're that we're experiencing. Yeah. Okay. You bring up such an important point, and it's really been at the root of what I've been teaching about the perimenopausal years. Is that there's so much that happens in the female body that's built towards reproduction. Yeah. And so the challenge with that is once estradiol goes away and our body is not meant to be reproducing, we're not just losing you know, brain power. We're not just getting hot flashes, but there's this whole biochemical change that's going on. So what I just heard from you is your skin no longer becomes the organ that attracts people to you. Your skin becomes the organ that reflects something to you, which is what is the environments that you are putting yourself in. So, what is that? The am I reading that right? You are, and it's not even it's not even such a like a top down type of process where the skin decides that it wants to be something else. Basically, just abandons or slowly, slowly abandons 
or deprioritizes the mm-hmm. communication of, again, of life, li- lifefulness in the skin, the youthfulness of the skin. It just slowly abandons it. It could be epigenetically. It could be basically not maintaining genes that are that are connected to collagen production, hyaluronic mm. production, hyaluronic acid production, elastin production, the usage of all of those things. It could be what we know as kind of the hallmarks of aging, the names that we give the different dimensions of aging, the different verticals of aging, and how they basically get abandoned by the skin. Lo- less mitochondrial function, for example, or even less mitochondria per cell, et cetera, et cetera. Really, it, it, it goes that's why I like to tell a broader story because what I'm saying is think of priorities and the skin not prioritizing looks anymore. The skin is priori- prioritizing other things. What is it, so what else is it prioritizing? It actually becomes more of a, of a barrier between the environment and our body. So basically, the more sun damage we experience, the more we, ex- we are exposed to like artificial light or EMFs or pollution, heavy metals, the more the skin gets damaged, but also things start to seep into the body, wh- whether it is damaging the, you know, your, your connection between your skin and your brain, which is called the skin-brain axis, wow. whether it is damaging, your, again, your skin barrier and allowing different contaminants kind of to pass through or different irritants to affect the inflammatory levels of the skin. So the skin really shifts to battle these things. It's not necessarily by a conscious decision. It's just by an overwhelming amount of assault that happens with time and gets accumulated. And really, we really can think of, da- of skin aging as the accumulation of unrepaired damage. So the more unrepaired damage there is, the more it needs to address that damage, not necessarily maintain its youthful state. So if let's use me as an example. I was a, a competitive tennis player. So mm-hmm. I grew up on a tennis court we, in the 70s and the 80s when we weren't really thinking about, you know, sunblock as much. And I often have asked myself as I move through my 40s and 50s, if the sun damage from my younger years is what I'm seeing now and reflecting now. So do you take the damage from your younger years into those perimenopausal years and they just get more amplified at that moment? Yeah, it's, imagine you know, we get sun damage all the time, right? We get, you know, different kinds of irritations all the time. When we're younger, our body has more resources to deal with it. And these resources also deplete, as we we mentioned, estradiol, but really these resources deplete as time goes on. And this is a snowball where the more, the less we can deal with something, the more we kind of have to deal with the, the the accumulation of it. And to answer your like, like your question specifically, yes, UV. Even though I like to say that when we live in a Western world, UV is not the the number one worry we should we should address. UV creates damage which is extremely hard for the for the skin to repair because it literally fuses parts of your DNA together. It literally right. renders them inoperable. So it's very difficult for your skin to kind of bounce back off of that. I'm not saying that it's impossible, not saying that it's, you know, it's the end of the world, but it is, again, what we're looking at is just accumulation statistics and kind of as time goes on, you know, you're, you're facing an uphill battle. 
Yes. So let's let's go with the sun. And then I want to I want I definitely want to know what the number one thing we should be concerned about is. But if we just go with the sun, here's the dilemma that I have found myself in as a 54 year old woman is I'm also trying to bring my vitamin D levels up. So I'm in a little bit of a quandary because I need to bring vitamin D up for hormonal production. I know I get vitamin D from the sun, so I'm supplementing with it and doing less with the sun, but we know light is really important for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So is there a safe way for perimenopause and menopausal women to do the sun? Because the minute I put a sunblock on, now I'm blocking the UV rays that will convert, help me make vitamin D. Yeah. Yeah. You're, so first how, of all, you're right. You're right. Should I run from the sun? Should I, <laughs> is there a way for me and the sun to be friends? You run in circles and then sometimes you get vitamin D. No. So, <laughs> Pretty much. Well, first of all, you're right. The, the, the second thing is, let me ask the proverbial you, the per person who listens to us, what hours are we going outside? Yeah. And then not only that, but also which body parts are we exposing? Do you know what the, well, do you know what the farmer's tan is? Yes, I do it's know. The, we had a tennis <laughs> tan when I was a kid. We, we, we had an absolute tennis tan. So, and mm -hmm. it was a farmer's tan. Yes, exactly. So basically it means that the areas we expose the skin the most, which is like uh, all the way to our like V-neck and our arms, they get tanned and the rest doesn't. And this is something to bear in mind, not necessarily, I know we said we're, we're kind of limiting it to UV, but y these areas, also when you walk around inside your house as well, when you're exposed to artificial light, again, pollutants, all of these things, these areas are the most stressed out. They have the most amount of, in, of infl inflammatory markers and the most amount of, of oxidative stress as well, like free radicals as well. So anyway, they're not the best areas to expose to the sun if we want to get vitamin D synthesis. So there are a few things that you can do, but I would highly recommend exposing areas that are not exposed normally. So basically your, your, your belly button area, your upper thighs, the back, areas that are, first of all, very large. You can think of them like uh, solar panels, right? And not necessarily areas like our face, our ears, our, our arms. These areas are anyway, basically by the time we're, we're learning this information and we're in our late 30s, 40s, 50s, whoever's listening now, 60s, you have now made them a very poor solar panel and you mm. you should prioritize other area, especially if you don't live in Florida like I do, especially if you live in a place that is more, the, the sun is more scarce. I would say again, we are looking at the angle of the sun to the earth and that changes the a relationship of, of yeah. different UV rays and red and near infrared and the makeup of, of the sun ray. So we really want to kind of expose our skin to the sun before 10 a.m. or after 4 p.m. And that would help many other things, such as, you know, your circadian rhythm, which I'm sure you've talked about probably yes. a lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, okay. So I could put a hat on. Mm -hmm. I could go in my backyard and and to think of how do I expose the largest part of my skin, which the back, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And, and if I do that, you know, making sure it's not between 10 and four that I can still get my vitamin D requirements. And, and do we have any idea of like, is it 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Do we know how long I should be out there? 
And again, that's actually, the, again, great question. That would really depend on when exactly are you exposed to the sun. Right. And so for the most part, I say 30 minutes are great, even up to an hour. If you're, if you're kind of at the crack of dawn, you can even do two hours because the mm. sun is so weak in the beginning. And just to give you an example, you know, many people in the last few years have heard about the trend of like turning your, your butt to the sun and then oh, yeah, you know, yeah. that area. And, and so in the biohacking community, it's kind of funny to me where you're saying, hey, I don't want to use any kind of sun protection because I'm worried about my vitamin D3 levels, et cetera. But I'm also understanding the concept of the thing that is exposed less to the sun creates more vitamin D. So if you're following the second principle I just said, there's no reason like to, you know, beat a dead horse. There is no reason for you to continuously expect your face, your neck, your, your arms to be the vitamin D synthesizer. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I do believe that supplementation, you know, if it can work for you, I, you know, that's kind of where I've settled in is just let me supplement. I spent some time this year in Norway in uh, uh, Tromsø, which is one of the most Northern cities in the world that, uh -huh. that people live. It's dark three months a year and they just all know you take vitamin D, like it's just part of, of the process. So yeah. I, I sort of listen to that and I go, yeah, I think that's just going to be how I'll get my vitamin D. But I also know I go out in the sun, I have serotonin receptor sites in my eyes. So I want to make sure that I'm not out there with sunglasses on so that I'm stimulating that. Like we're learning so much more about the healing effect of light. And then to square that with aging skin has been a real dilemma. And I think a lot of women are, are experiencing that. 100%, but I do have some tips. I do have some, please, some please. things that you can do. Okay, please. so we'll go from like uh, very easy to maybe a little bit uh, less comfortable. So Perfect. very, very easy would be taking astaxanthin, which is uh, carotenoid from from mainly from salmon it's made. So this is something you can take in pills. A lot of people apply it on the skin as well. It's actually not as good because we want it kind of from within our body. So so that is, carotenoids know how to get to your skin surface really, really well. So we want to do that and we can actually test, there is a machine that tests your carotenoid levels and we, we know that this is an amazing product to use in order to kind of get yourself more resilient to the sun. And Love that. Supplement it, supplementing on a regular basis with, as, with astaxanthin is equal to upping your natural protection from the sun by about SPF 5, not 55, wow. but that's pretty good. Yes, another for another way to, which is pretty easy, is to use a vitamin C that's called magnesium ascorbyl phosphate, MAP. Okay. And the reason I'm giving you that specific type of magnesium is not necessarily because it's, oh, or sorry, the, the, that uh, type of vitamin C is not necessarily because it's the only one. It's just the one that shows better efficacy. Part of the reason it's, it's water-soluble and it's non-synthetic. So ascorbic acid, is which most people know as vitamin C, is actually horrible to use uh, for your skin. Uh, we can definitely get into that later, but it is geno and cytotoxic. So it's probably the worst ingredient you can have in your skincare regimen. Um, vitamin C. The, the synthetic version, uh, ascorbic acid, is really, 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 really bad as a skincare what about, product. 
Okay, what about if I do a vitamin C drip? Well, that's a completely different... First of all, it's important to understand where that vitamin C is, is synthesized from and, and, and is this... What's the... So the problem with vitamin C as a whole, first of all, is its pH levels when we talk about uh, vitamin IVs. And yeah. the second thing is, again, how vitamin C is both a, an antioxidant and a pro-oxidant. And when we are using a high dose of vitamin C, ascorbic acid, it actually can make iron atoms in your mitochondria and kind of in your intercellular membrane. It can make them excited. It can actually destabilize them. And that mm. can cause basically free radicals that are extremely yeah. damaging to the cell, but to your DNA specifically. So yeah. that is why a product like a, that one thing would be if they're like super fresh and you get, you know, some high, high level of ascorbic acid IV. But if you're talking about, and it's, and, and it's a quality one, that's one thing. But if you're talking about the skincare product, that an average ah. age of a bottle that you're buying at fill in the blank at a store is two to five years old. That vitamin C was made two to five years ago. Wow. So you can imagine how unstable it has become. And by the way, in, in, in the world of skincare products, there are, there's a lot of chemistry that's going on with balancing pH and things like that, which is like the acidity. So it needs to be equivalent to your, your, your skin's acidity for that matter. If anyone remembers 20 years ago, there were like, you know, <laughs> soaps that were like pH natural and stuff. So that's kind of connecting to that. But, but to get to my, to my point about like vitamin C synthesis, the reason we do want to use vitamin C, magnesium ascorbyl phosphate, it's called MAP vitamin C. Another version, it's called THD, as okay. ascorbate. These two versions are really, really good in being kind of pH natural, things like that. If we want to talk about something we take orally, it could be sodium ascorbate or calcium ascorbate. And these things are really, really good in, again, upping the ability to resist the damage from the sun by, let's say, SPF 3, <laughs> okay? Right. And by right. the way, just as an anecdote, high, kind of high-level sunblocks that you'll buy will have an antioxidant within them, and that has been shown mm. to double their efficacy. So just oh. to connect to the same idea. Okay. The third one, which is, and again, we're talking about not that necessarily like resisting sun damage. We're talking about vitamin D synthesis. The third one is actually using lanolin on your skin. Mm, okay. And so this, can, again, just, just so we're clear, this is if you want to go out in the sun and you want the most to get grabbed, the most vitamin D, mm -hmm. but you don't want skin damage. So mm -hmm. you're increasing your chances of, okay, go ahead. So lanolin can double the amount of vitamin D that you're okay. synthesizing. Wow. Um, and again, just supplementing on K2, uh, yes. vitamin K2, K1 yes. and K2 can increase your ability to create that vitamin D3 that you want so much. Yeah. So again, like, you know, we talked about, there, there, there is another molecule specifically in skincare, you'll see. It's called ectoin. It's a type of protein. It's really cool because it's from, have you ever heard about water? Bears or space bears, they're called sometimes. No. They're extremophiles. They're micro, very, very, very small organisms. They look really cool. And they have the ability, they have the, this protein, and this protein structures water around their proteins. 
and it kind of creates like a buffer that that proteins can't get dumb, damaged as well. And that is something that we're starting to see in skincare more and more. We actually used it like first time like four years ago. And we were like the only company who used it. And it was very difficult because you're, the, the, the cost of using it was really, really high. Now there are entire skincare brands that are based on Ectoin, mainly in right. Korea and stuff wow. like that. But this is a really good product to use in order to, to protect yourself, not only against UV damage, but also against EMF, against you know, heavy metals, pollution. Artificial light, yeah. blue light. Ashwagandha is really good to, to protect the skin against artificial light and blue light. So, yeah. So talk about light because then there there's sunlight, there's blue light, and there's red light. And I, mm-hmm. and I hear in the conversation of skincare, all three of those used differently. Yeah. So let's start with blue light because we just a- address sunlight. With like we're on, I'm on my computer a lot throughout the day. That blue light coming off my computer, is that damaging my skin? Significantly. And it doesn't only damage your skin. By the way, yes, it damages your skin. And all of the skin types, which I would kind of maybe categorize you within that that little, you know, enclave, are actually the most susceptible to that type of skin damage. Just the way that this wavelength resonates with with that pigment. So actually that doesn't only damage your skin and your collagen, it actually also damages the ability to synthesize collagen. And what I'm saying right now, it's not like we're going to literally have our skin melt off our face once we sit in front of a computer. But again, we're talking about increments here and sitting in front of a computer. Why is it so different from like having a blue light that is part of the makeup of the sun? It's because of two two reasons. Number one is the amount, the percentage of it. And the second is what we call HEV, which is high energy visible light. So these photons, which is particles of light, slam into your skin significantly uh, more powerfully than what they would in a natural circumstance. And that is really bad for your for your skin. By the way, so some of the things that I said are very good to protect. Yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. So what do I do? So now I'm, I'm staying out of the sun thinking that's helping, but I'm sitting at the computer all day. So I can take those same supplements you talked about. Is there anything I can put on my skin or a filter on my computer to block that, that bad blue light from damaging my skin? 100%. So first of all, in most electronics today, there is a there is there are things that you can do to the actual screen to have less blue light. Right. So if anyone has like an iPhone, there is a setting that allows you to completely like with three clicks on the side of your phone to have it completely red, completely red. Yeah, I've not, seen that. Not only night shift, which makes it slightly yellow, but like completely red. And for the most, most part of the day, that's the configuration my, my phone is at. Computer, kind of the same thing. We can definitely buy a screen kind of a screen protector type thing. But there are a lot of things that you can do to the actual screen. Now, uh, to the actual like makeup of colors that come out of the screen. Mm. Having said that, we can definitely put things on our skin. For example, Ectoin. For example, a really cool antioxidant that is called lipochromin 6. Again, a pretty expensive skincare ingredient. So aside from us... I haven't seen it yet in in skincare, 
But this is very similar to C60, if anyone knows C60. Mm-hmm. Although C60 actually makes you a little bit sensitive to the sun, this makes you less sensitive and also less sensitive to the to the blue light. And again, ashwagandha, which sometimes in skincare you'll see it's called winter cherry, is mm-hmm. also a really good ingredient to uh, protect against blue light. And you guys, I, I, you have a product called BioShield, I think. Is that what yeah. is that meant to block you block the EMFs? Correct. That actually the blue protects light, the blue light. We said, you know, again, like we're a biohacking skincare company, right? We're right. Uh, we claim that we're the most innovative skincare company in the world. So when we go and research a product, and again, I mentioned like we started using Actoin four years ago. It's already five years ago. It took us four years to develop our sunblock. Everything there would have a little bit of a peculiar way of <laughs> of addressing so anything from our like the way we use zinc oxide is really special uh we process it differently than anyone else which makes it like doesn't leave that white little uh powdery look but it protects you like much better we also have that ectoin there and we have lipochrome six and we also have a blend of like herbal chinese herbal extracts that allow us to protect better against emf and pollution and heavy metals but it's it's very again it's we call it a 360 degree environmental protection because and I'm going to drop a bomb over here you if you're living in a western world you age about 80% of the skin aging isn't caused from what we call intrinsic aging from the way you eat from the way you you your body ages mm. naturally but it actually is caused by the environment and within that 80% more is driven by other things rather than UV. So the things that I mentioned, like glyphosates, um, pollution, again, artificial light, dust mites, all of these things together are together driving more of skin aging than UV. So when we designed a sunblock, we're saying, okay, that's great. We could just make a product. It's going to be great but it's going to be another product on the market. Or we're saying, let's see what's really happening here. What are we really protecting against? A little bit harder to explain, but the protection is much better. And we are getting like a lot of people saying, you know, I've never had a sunblock like that or something like that because we address things a little bit different. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man. One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there, and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. 
so PS, 16, then my last name, Pels, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org. And you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. Talk about red light. So, you know, there's a lot of red light masks. You know, I have a red light in the morning that I put on when I meditate or I turn on when I'm meditating. Is it true that these red light strategies can repair collagen? Well, they can definitely support the repair of collagen. Mm-hmm. They are not, that's, I'm, I'm going to risk losing like one person listening if they don't want me to get a little bit nerdy on it. But I, I really want to explain something. So first of all, why do we react with red, to red light anyway? Remember I told you before about the angle between the sun and earth. Yes. Uh, so basically, the more atmosphere, the, the, the wavelengths of, of light pass through, the more they get absorbed in water. So what we're left with are wavelengths that are not absorbed in water very well. And because our body is made out of water mostly, they can actually travel through our body with ease. Okay? Mm. And that's why we've, through the ages, we've evolved to interact with those wavelengths. They are predominantly like red and near infrared, which is different than far infrared that that is used in saunas. Because that, mm. again, the way it warms us up is by interacting with with water, with by friction with water. So it actually isn't a very good therapeutic method, if you would. But red and near infrared, they are, our body, the mitochondria evolved. So the powerhouse of the cell evolved to interact with them specifically, which is super cool. So only like this one enzyme in the mitochondria absorbs this light. The red and light. The red light and near infrared, yeah. which I like to say it's red that you cannot see. Don't think about it as infrared. Just think mm. of it as red that you can't see because they interact in a very similar fashion. But the way they in- interact is through stimulation, which means that mm. there is like a lower threshold and an upper threshold. So a lot of the things like these masks, I'm not saying they're not good in general. You're just working. It's like working with very lightweight in the gym. Mm. Mm, yeah. And a lot of the things that we think of as like the most powerful ever, blah, blah, there really is no need for that amount of power. The The, the ability to stimulate the mitochondria is pretty sub- substantiated. So 99.9 of percent of the panels, such as the one that you mentioned, will work and they'll work very well. It's a little bit challenging for an industry that tries to differentiate itself. I'll I'll give it, I'll give the industry that. But for the most part, any panel that you're going to get works very well. Now I said that it supports collagen production. And the reason is, is because my body, your body, anyone's body doesn't know a wrinkle is a problem. It doesn't know a pigmented mm. hair area is a problem. It doesn't know mm. a lax, you know, lax skin is a problem. That is because there is no direct inflammation that is created there. It is more as a, you can think of the way that the earth doesn't know a, a mountain or a valley is a problem, mm. right? It's just there and it's now we work around it mm. uh, for the most part, Okay. We can improve hydration, et cetera. We can look better. But the wrinkle itself, that dividend collagen, isn't something that the body has on its agenda to repair. So even yeah. if we support 
the powerhouse of the cell, even we, if we support more energy, more ability to repair, we have to have something else that stimulates the repair of that wrinkle. Alone, it will be very minimal. The effect would be very minimal because we haven't done anything to signal to communicate to the body. And that's kind of going back to kind of the first thing we ever said in this conversation, which is like, oh, we have to communicate in a different way with our body mm-hmm. once we've passed, you know, 40, when we're, once we're flirting with perimenopause and obviously after, you know, when, once right. we're in menopause. Right. What about sweating? So you, you brought up infrared and what I've noticed is that there's two things where I can really, biohacks, that I can really see a difference in my skin. One is an infrared sauna and the other one is actually a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And I've done a lot of research on hyperbaric, but it seems like when I do both those biohacks on a regular basis, I, my skin definitely has a different look to it. So is it talk a little bit about the importance of sweating and not everybody has an infrared. So is it maybe they just, we need to sweat more often. And then what, what do we know? I know you guys have a hyperbaric mask, which is really cool, but what do we know about needing oxygen on the skin? Well, so we need oxygen in order for our skin to have, it's kind of relating to the last thing we said, which is the skin needs energy in order to repair. But I'll go, that's just to answer your question, but I'll go back to sweating. And one of the things that the skin is working against is obviously toxins and the inability to alleviate toxic load. So what you're seeing basically is a more refreshed skin. And another thing that is called skin autofluorescence, which means how, how much kind of infrared you're emitting and which which yeah. our eye receives as as a glowing beautiful skin which is different than shiny again not there is actually no relation between the two but that vitality that kind of jumps at you okay now another thing that infrared is really good at is hsp so heat shock proteins and these proteins which happens also by the way when we're in a cold plunge uh, they're actually the same proteins, but uh, H- heat shock proteins, what they do is they go back and they look at m- basically proteins that weren't built well, and they can kind of use those proteins and build them, rebuild them. It's like you have a kid that built a Lego castle, like kind of weird, and now there's no door and no window, and it you know it doesn't do what the Lego castle is supposed to do or whatever, or you know, and you kind of go back and you fix a few things, and now all oh, it looks like the, what what the Lego intended, right? So. This is what heat shock proteins can do. So that's something very interesting. But again, we are missing a piece, which is kind of the rejuvenation piece, if you would, that signal for repair. Hyperbaric is a little bit different because a lot of the signals are not necessarily from that oxygen, but from the oxic, uh, hyperoxic, hypoxic effect or that the effect of us having a lot of oxygen, loading our, mm. our cells with oxygen and, and allowing a lot of energy to be created, and then tricking the body to think that it doesn't have a lot because we're getting out of the, the mm. hyperbaric chamber. So it's like a hormetic stress. 100%. We can see it across the board. A lot of the, a lot of the pathways that we're interested in when we talk about hormesis, whether it is like sirtuins, T- TNF, 
uh, I mean, a, a lot of them, any type of like detoxification pathways, they are all being activated by this hyperoxic hypoxic paradox, which we call basically when we're when we're getting Moving that shift. Yes. Yeah. It's, like, and, it's and, like metabolic switching with food and fasting. So <laughs> going in and out of oxygen, it creates yes. that. Yes, yeah. no, you are you are so correct because sometimes we see how the body actually kind of does the same thing by completely different stimuli, right? Yeah. So the there is a type of oxidative stress that has an extremely short shelf life that is being expelled kind of from the mitochondria and stimulates repair, reduction of inflammation, things like that. In both cases, we see that movement of reactive oxygen species, yeah. which are very, very short-lived, and they're very good for you. Okay, what about fasting? So something I noticed when I first started fasting was that I, that I, you called it something photoessence. Uh, yeah, autofluorescence, yeah. Autofluorescence, okay. Yeah. When I fast, I swear my skin gets a more orangey tinge to it. It looks healthier. It's just mm -hmm. not in a bad way. It just has more color. And I used to, in my clinic, I could literally tell when somebody would walk in the door, I would look at them and say, what, how long of a fast are you on right now? Because there was a shift that happened in their skin that made their skin glow. Is yeah. it have to do with that, that change in, in, I mean, what is going on in the skin basically when so, you fast? Well, first of all, before I answer the fasting question, I would say probably some of it is due to the fact that you're still drinking water and you're uh, intaking, you know, plenty of sodium, which okay. allows, you know, for water retention. So that's part of it. And that should be a part of it. I mean, that's great. As far as like, again, having, you know, being in a fasted state, we're getting into one of the key players in skin health, which is autophagy, which yes. is... The ability my to favorite word, my favorite word. <laughs> well, you know, autophagy. So a lot of the times we I talked about those verticals, which are called like the hallmarks of aging. But a lot of the times we're thinking of them as completely separate divisions. But it's it's not really the case because what we're seeing is that autophagy, for example, is is a vertical is a is a name for a type of aging process that is happening that is affecting. 75% of the other verticals. Mm -hmm. So oh. it, it affects, for example, senescent cells, or it affects, for example, protein misfolding, which is what I referred to, by the way, before when I said about the heat shock proteins, or it, it affects intercellular communication, nutrient sensing. It, it affects a lot of the same things that we've given other names. And by doing that, we can, it is a master regulator of aging. If we want to master regulate our age, we normally don't want to do it or the if we zoom out and we want to have something that affects our whole body, we normally don't want to talk necessarily about the hormone that we need to take, a peptide that we need to inject or apply or whatever. We want to look at processes that are kind of like mild stress to the whole system, like mm -hmm. temperature, like you know, nutrient deficiency. So these things, as long as they're controlled, they actually do magic because they not only they don't only interact with one system, they interact with multiple systems. Mm. So if I if I decide, I mean, the thing about skincare that also is challenging is it's very expensive. Yeah. So if I decide, hey, I'm going to really invest in a high quality skin 
uh, care product. What I'm hearing is if you want to amplify the benefits of that is stimulate autophagy on a semi-regular basis. It's, it's the driver of all the other skin enhancements that you're looking for. I would say yes. And what you're saying is an extremely advanced way of looking at skincare that very few people are talking about. I would say the only person that ever raised that, aside from you, is Dr. Amy Killen. Mm. And that is, so what we want to do is to have basically a push period, and a which means an, a, an anabolic period, which means period where I nourish, remember that hyperoxic hypoxic paradox? So in yep. a, 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 a time where I actually kind of nourish the skin the most, the most that I can and kind of push it to do the most, use those stimulations like microneedling, like, like retinoids, like we can talk about those, but really stimulate repair, ask for repair. And other times it's like, you know, let's say we're now in a holiday season in Young Goose, right? So we have, you know, thousands of orders that are coming in. The problem is, is that that creates a lot of waste. You can imagine how much like mm. ends of this is there. And if yeah. we would have never cleaned our our production mm. facility or our shipment facility, no one will be able to move, right? So there has to be right. periods where we're producing and we're giving everything that the production needs, all the raw ingredients, whatever that is. Really, you can think of my factory as, as, as an example for that. Yeah, it's a great analogy. And then there has to be times where we're cleaning up and both kind of feed off each other, right? There won't be anything to clean yeah. if we didn't have work and vice versa. The same way when we're talking about the skin, this is, by the way, one of the most fundamental processes that have that, that cells have evolved to from the literal, literal beginning of time. That interaction between a push period and a repair period or recovery period is literally in every cell in the yes. galaxy. <laughs> yep. It's, I mean, it's the fundamental principle of fasting, which is mm -hmm. dip into a semi-stressed state, heal your body, then go back and nourish it. And I love what you're saying is we got to look at everything like that. Yeah. So, okay, talk about, this is, this is to me is the elephant in this menopausal skincare room, which is Botox. I, I'm not going to lie. It would be really nice to just inject some Botox in my forehead to just smooth everything out. But I am always think about me 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I think of my toxic load often. So it scares me to put a, you know, a poison into my body to change temporary, temporarily change my skin. Yeah. But I'm willing to be wrong. So what, what's, what, are the, what do we need to think about with Botox? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea from a skin's perspective? Well, if we're a Puritan, then I would say it's a bad idea. But we are, we're, we're not. So I am not in the business of telling people what, they, what their decisions should be. But what I am in the business is supporting those decisions in the best way possible. And it's not lip yes. service. I, you know, I really truly believe that if Anastasia, my wife, decided to do Botox, I will, obviously she won't ask me even, but, but I won't tell her no. What I would tell her is that, and that's something she knows already because she's the, the biologist, but uh, what, what, what happens is, is that we are getting a few different types of things that are working against our health when we are doing Botox. By the way, fillers 
are different as far as their their chemistry and they work a little bit different but one thing that is that is again happening in both is the inability to clear toxins which we talked about before which is right. the the lymphatic drainage aspect and that is like super important because the way that lymph the lymph system works the lymphatic system works is by contraction of muscles obviously also by diff- the differ- differing of g forces so when we walk or anything like that but really what what it's predicated on is good contraction and release of our muscles and if we freeze mm-hmm. a muscle you can see the problem there um, the li- the toxins stay in there's no lymph movement yes yeah, and what we're that's one thing the other thing is the fact that not when we are going for our next Botox injection, which if you look at the internet, if people will try to scare you, they're going to say, oh, you need to do it every six weeks. No, you can also do it every six months. Okay. So really, truly, you can mm-hmm. just do it twice yeah. a year. So when you're going for your next Botox treatment, not the entire toxin is out of your system. Some of it is still there. So you're kind of kind of topping off. The problem there is that we are, we're, constantly dealing with that toxic load one thing that we can do to kind of alleviate both well first of all zinc helps okay uh, having before a, you get before in you general get the, the shot. in oh, general okay. having adequate amounts of zinc and by the way topical taurine or taurate are also very very beneficial but what we're really thinking about is that that doesn't stop the aging process. Our skin's still aging in the background. So that cannot be, a lot of people are saying, if I'm choosing Botox, I don't need to do, I don't need to do maintenance. I don't need to have a mm. skincare routine. That is the problem. The problem is not supporting your skin's aging process in general. The problem is, is that you always will need a little bit more Botox to get the same result next time. So it builds up. Right. And the problem yeah. is that you don't have any any toxin removal or very limited toxin removal from those cells from that system. So yeah. one of the things that we can do to tackle that is have a lymphatic massage or like a facial massage, if you would, doing facial yoga. All of those mm-hmm. things are very beneficial, especially towards the end of the last 30%, if you would, of your journey with Botox, whether it is like every four months, six months, whatever that is. So we have to understand that our muscles definitely need some kind of care and maintenance because we're freezing them. You can imagine, again, sorry for the example, imagine someone in the hospital that cannot move their limbs. The hospital is moving their limbs for them. There is an entire industry of of ways to move the body if the body cannot move itself. So that is something that is super, super, super important. And there are other things coming in the pipeline of those companies that would be more mild as far as like toxic load. Mm. Dysport is one of them. as another mm. type of injection f- that is mm. similar to Botox because I said fillers are not the same, right? So right. Dysport is one of them. As far as filler fillers are concerned, also fillers are changing significantly. They also have the same problems. One of the problems that fillers have and is not completely looked at is a bone mass that can lower mm-hmm. with, with oh, hyaluronic acid fillers. It yep. is a problem, especially because we're doing it next to our, our jaw or our, yeah. you know, again, oh. our again our our bones that are closer to the surface of the skin right. so this is a little bit of an issue. Again, you want to try and do it very seldom if you do. 
Yeah. And there are now also options to have fat grafts. So they take a fat from your, you know, abdomen, again, some, something like that, and they inject it. There is a lot of risk for infection. Mm. So that is something, again, this is super, super individual between doctors, how they do it. But that is something that you should look at. Last, yeah. I would say, there are people who take V cells, which is very small embryonic-like stem yeah. cells, um, and re-inject them back into the face. You, It's very expensive, and you need to do it very often. Mm. But if you are one of those people that can afford it and has the time to travel and, and get it done, that could be something mm. that is that is going to replace all of, all of those things. Interesting. Okay. And then, you know, last year, I really wanted to dive into understanding things like NAD, spermidine, like things that we actually talk a lot about in the fasting world are now sort of appearing in the skincare world. So, you know, I went through the whole NAD IV four days in a row. I've been doing one a month. I really liked that. I've been adding in some spermidine in my fasting window to enhance the, the effects of autophagy. And then I met you all last spring and you're putting these things in skincare. And, and, and this is really so my audience knows this is such an authentic comment I'm about to make. I have looked at a lot of skincare through my perimenopausal years and something you're doing with your skincare had the most impactful change that I could see. I'm more interested in what I see. Yeah. And I'm curious what these NAD boosters and the, you talked about a spermidine product you're coming out with. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. That serum I put on my, your serum, <laughs> it's a game changer. So talk yeah. about what what is in that and why we would want to think about NAD and spermidine as a topical agent, not always an oral one. Well, fantastic question. And that's funny where the same comment I made before about reactive oxygen species kind of uh, living uh, or re is a reaction in our body to different things actually exists also when we talk about NAD and the aging process. So when you are doing NAD IVs, your body does not prioritize the skin anymore. Like the skin is literally the last thing in its list of organs to replenish mm -hmm. NAD for. By the way, same thing with supplementations. So even if we are doing the outmost advanced protocol, utmost advanced protocol for NAD replenishment, we are not going to get a lot of NAD in our skin. And why do we need NAD in our skin? It's because I did mention sirtuins, which are, I call them the police of the DNA. They make your DNA behave correctly. But we also have another set of enzymes, another family, which is PARPs, which are, I call the fire department of your DNA. And just think mm -hmm. of a world where there's a lot of fires. Who is going to get more of the budget? Your mm. or more of the fuel to get from place mm. to place, right? There is definitely looting that is happening, but let's first take care of the fires. And that's really what happens in the world, unfortunately. But so the same thing about NAD replenishment in the skin. As we said in the beginning, as we grow older, that unrepaired damage, that snowball effect of, <laughs> of, of aging that is happening in the skin really starves your you, the enzymes that are basically in charge to make you to, to keep you young, they starve them off of their food, which is NAD. So we have to, we just have to 
replenish it topically. The mm. problem is, is that NAD is a molecule. There are very, very few molecules in your body which you can give them in, in the same form which, form which the body uses them. Even if we think of protein, and let's say collagen protein, there are so many ads now for collagen protein and how it's good for your skin. It's not necessarily that the collagen protein is good for your skin. It's what your body is doing, breaking it down into building block blocks, which then it uses to make collagen. So that's across the board, something that we need to understand. So if we take NAD supplements, if we take NAD IVs, by the way, the reason you flush when you get an NAD IV or that mm -hmm. you have a bellyache, it's because of the the body kind of breaking it down and some of those adenosine, some of, one of the things in NAD is making you flush. So what we need to do is use molecules which the body knows how to use in the right way, which mm -hmm. are the building blocks for NAD. So we're making the whole trip much shorter. Instead of giving the body NAD, the body kind of breaking it down, and then you know, using these building blocks to build NAD again, we just give it the building blocks. And that's what we did in skincare. And that's why it's very unique. So we were the first company that ev to ever do it in skincare. Yeah, I saw that. And we're starting to see a lot of companies doing the same thing, but because they're following the demand and they don't go through like seven years of development that we did, because you don't, you can't afford seven years of development. If something's yeah. hot right now, you can't say, oh, I'll have it in seven years. What they do is they just put pure NAD there, which doesn't absorb into the skin, has no idea how to absorb it. It's also too big. Or they put, you know, kind of, things that are supposed to boost your NAD, but they're, again, because they're topical, they don't communicate with the whole system and the body doesn't work like that. So by now, we are looking around and we see that people still haven't kind of gotten a way to replicate that what we do, which is legit boosting, doubling the amount of NAD that your skin has where you apply it. And mm. by the way, that's something also important to remember, that even if you have the NADIVs, and your body somehow magically decided that it, it wants to prioritize your skin. Where is it prioritizing? Is it prioritizing the skin on the on your heel, on your neck? How does oh, yeah, it know? How the how does yeah. it know that your wrinkle around your eyes are are the ones that, yeah. that it cares about? So we want to apply it locally. That's number one. And also we we need to have something like resveratrol, for example, or tilirocide, which is another polyphenol or pterostil being something that would, if NAD is the fuel for all of those repair processes, we need something to press the gas pedal. So mm -hmm. resveratrol is very, very important as well. We're, you're correct to say that we're going to be the first to introduce spermidine into skincare. Yeah. We see other companies doing it as well, by the way. So if you don't like Young Goose, don't worry about it. There will be other companies pretty soon. But... <laughs> This is something pretty cool, which we've been experimenting. Actually, we've had it in a few products like our cleanser, like our care moisturizer before, but in a very, very small amount because mm. we were only researching how to really get it well into the skin and to have it have the skin use it well. And we figured it out. And by the way, a company that helped us tremendously and is kind of our partner in this is Longevity Labs, which mm. has Spermidine Life. So for the last two years, we've been developing this skincare product that still has our NAD precursors, still has some incredibly cool peptides that we've developed, like a system of peptides, but also spermidine. And what we can do is not only that we can support fasting, 
which you mentioned, the skin looks really good when you're fasting, but we can mimic fasting, which is ridiculous. So we can mimic the only the regenerative parts. We don't mimic fasting by the way that we starve the, the, the skin of nutrients or calories. We're only mimicking the part of activating autophagy and activating, you know, NAD synthesis and all of the good things that are happening during fasting, even when you're not fasting. So even in your quote unquote push periods where you're stimulating a lot of repair and renewal, we're also getting those processing processes along the way, which I think is really cool. It's super cool. And I I love stacking different Uh biohacks. And I'm thinking with this new product, knowing that spermidine activates autophagy, and if you're in a fast longer than 17 hours, you're stimulating autophagy. So it would be a beautiful way to just keep that, like you said, the push period, allow your, your everything from your internal organs to go through this autophagy repair, but your skin, like you said, is the last thing that it's going to repair. Mm-hmm. So that you may have just amplified the effects of fasting from allowing us to put it on topical. And, you know, personally, I would say you put it on in the fasting window and just get it, get it all to amplify and then just make sure you're eating really good food Mm -hmm. when you go into that eating window. But what I, but what I hear you saying is you can put it on and while you're eating too, and you're still getting autophagy on the skin. I just like to, how do we amplify autophagy as best we can? 100%. And that is the real, that's the difference between a an amateur skin rejuvenator and a professional. And, you know, that's something that, again, we had a consultancy for like biohacking brands and and a few really big brands that have been sold by now. And what we were, what we used to tell people is that you always have highs and lows, but you want to shorten your lows and increase your highs, right? And that could be applied also here. What we want to do is Obviously, there are going to be times where you're stressed in life. There are going to be times where things are not going to be good. You're not going to get sleep. You know, we're expecting a baby, so I'm sure we're getting into one of oh, those. Yeah, let's talk areas. in a year about your. <laughs> I want to know about your wife's skincare regime in a year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you want to be a professional. You want to make sure that you are understanding when you can push your skin to do more, when you can ask it to do more, and also when you want to just support and kind of replenish it and leave it alone for a second. Yeah, uh, it's so beautiful. Okay, before I ask you my last question, I got to make sure that we didn't miss when I asked you about sunlight, you said it's not the number one thing you need to be worried about. Mm -hmm. What is what's the number one thing we for skin that we need to be worried about? I would say um, carbon and nitrogen free radicals. So free radicals that are caused by pollution, things like, again, like gas exhaust, like uh, car exhausts, things like that. Our skin is clueless as far as how to deal with it. It has no no innate antioxidant that is dealing with it. Um, Again, like we can do a few things. C60 is really good, taking internally. Um, Mm -hmm. But the problem is it does make you a little bit sensitive to the sun, so yeah. better to take it at night if you want to have that dance going mm-hmm. very effectively, especially if you're doing high doses, especially if you're you're using like, I don't know, something like wizard sciences, something like that has a lot of C60 and you're full yeah. of it. But a- another one is lipochromin 6, which is very, very similar. It's just applied topically and it, it mitigates a lot of those bad, you know, parts of, of antioxidants. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Or, or move out of a city that has a lot of pollution. I, oh, yeah. I unfortunately grew up in LA, so that did, was working against me. And oh, then yeah. I, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so that's still working against me. So, but, so what I hear, though, is then it becomes even more important. So if, if, we, if air pollution is the number one skin damager, we need to really address that through the yes. strategies that you mentioned. Unfor yes, 100%. Unfortunately, I wouldn't like to say uh, to you, people who live in Alaska or, I don't know, we talked to Brock before uh, the air. He's in uh, Vancouver Island. Yeah, I don't think he, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of pollution, I, would, I don't think. So I would still say these are things that you need to look at because a lot of these things rise in the atmosphere and with rain, with lowering of temperatures, they they kind of, circulate back down mm. and we so want to exactly unfortunately but the thing the good thing is again in the biohacking community health optimization community we know that we can do things to mitigate that so yeah amazing amazing well again like i said i have tried a lot of products all natural i'm always because skincare is just i mean we don't even need to address this hopefully people know it but i think it's important to understand that a lot of skincare are they're endocrine disruptors. So here yeah. you are in your 40s and 50s trying to balance your hormone. Hormones stay young and what you're putting on your skin is actually causing hot sweats and weight gain and mood disruptions. And you don't even realize it in your attempt to stay young. So yeah. when, I, when you gave me the NAD product first, I was really clued into NAD at that time. And I was like, oh, for my skin, that makes mm -hmm. sense. And then after a couple of months of using it, I'm sold. Like, I'm totally sold. So I just am so grateful for, you know, your knowledge on this. You guys created something phenomenal. So, And, and I would say one thing is that yeah. I, we are the only company that I'm aware of at the moment. And again, that I'm aware of that is uh, creating what is called homeostatic skincare. I don't believe in the word clean. I believe it's a large umbrella that you can really have murky waters there what is clean what is good what's bad but what we test is literal people and we make sure that they're we are not disrupting their endocrine system so that's what we call homeostatic skincare i love and so if somebody was to use your products what's the easiest door in like are there two or three products they should start with first yeah, we the, the products that we covered are, are good starts. So ProCare is the serum. It mainly deals with senescent cells. We have Care, which is the moisturizer, and we have the hyperbaric mask. I so this is this, by the way, kind of turns the moisturizer into a night cream. You just apply it over the moisturizer and leave it overnight. You could do it every night. You can do it once in a while. Whatever you want, the results are crazy. I would they say are. that that you know keep your your ear to the ground because in a couple months more or less we're going to have our youth daily and youth reset there the the serum and Love the it. moisturizer that are going to have also the spermidine and stuff like that so until then you have this and you know Amazing. yeah yeah well amate i thank you for having this conversation i you know part of where my heart is at is giving women natural safe ways to take care of their health after 40 mm -hmm. and skincare is such a crazy conversation and everybody has an opinion on it. And what yeah. I am very, very dedicated to doing is not toxifying myself to stay young. Yeah. And this is why you have created a solution for so many of us. So I really appreciate that. And I know you're giving, I think we have a 10% off yeah. your products for those of you that, and the code was Dr. Dr. Mindy. Mindy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I love it. So we'll leave the code down there and yeah. you guys can get 10% off your first order. And I have to ask you my final question. Mm-hmm. And I love knowing what people's superpower is. So if you had one superpower that you think you bring to the world, what is it? I love to help. I love to ah. help. That's my hobby. That's uh, I didn't like the that fact about me that I'm a sucker for helping people for a long time. Oh. But uh, I've I've relinquished any resistance that I have in the last couple of years. If anyone needs my help, they can let me know. And, and yeah, it's such a good superpower. And I, now that makes sense that you were like the first time I think we actually met was at one of the biohacking conferences, and you were like chasing me down with with one of your yeah. products. And I was like, and you you just gave it to me. I was like, wow, it's so sweet. Thank you. Let me go home and try it. And I, and I would say that I definitely feel that from you all. And part of what I'm committed to doing is really supporting companies that are heart-based. So I just appreciate you. And thank you for enlightening us. And yes, keep us posted on anything new that comes out. I want to be the guinea pig. So Sounds great. super grateful for you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to know about it. So please leave us a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what your biggest takeaway is.